In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I had no idea they were going to do this. This wasn't tied to doing this final check-in. But Michelle, uh, part of the staff at our city, and I think some others helped her with this, but knowing just kind of the increasing cost to keep the building going and stuff, she just asked some of the kids if they would want to share on video why they're thankful for this space, which was just super thoughtful, super, I, the first time I knew of it or saw it was on Friday at staff meeting. But I just thought it would be so cool to like just share this. Um, this is some of the kids that are just in here every single day of the week just sharing some of why they're grateful for this space. And I think for those of you who helped make this happen, I think you'll be encouraged by this. So we're gonna watch this kind of short video where some of the kids from the ministry here share why they're grateful for this space. I'm thankful for Rubber City. You know why? Because I am thankful for everybody that's here in Rebel City. Uh, I like coming to Rebel City because it's fun, it's peaceful, and no drama. I like to come to Rebel City because it's a nice place to come to. I like Rebel City because it's an upbeat place. Uh, the reason I like Rebel City because we get to help people and we get to do something and we don't have to go home every day bored. And yeah, it's like, uh, I like River City because they uh, help us stay out the game and stuff. Um, thank you for River City because they help us with our homework and this is a place for us to calm down at. I like to, to be at River City because they let us go outside. I love about River City about cooking, family time, Mr. Hines' room, and Hannah's room. I thank you for listening to how to play with toys. I like coming to the city because of the food. Uh, I'm thankful for the field trips y'all take us on and the space that y'all let us use. I'm thankful for River City. We they bring us on food trips and play in the gym. I'm thankful for the indoor gym that have River City. Well, I'm thankful for our city. I'm thankful for the open gym and the mentor that's caring. I'm thankful for the 
I'm thankful. I'm thanks for River City because like we got a lot of mentors. I'm thankful. I'm the thing I like about River City is the mentors because they keep us safe and um, th we do fun activities. I like River City. and My favorite mentor is Hans. I am thankful for my mentor. I'm thankful for River City because we have mentors and everybody in River City is too nice for us and we have fun. That's heartwarming, isn't it? I've watched that a lot of times since Friday. <laughs> um, and it's the, those kids are in my heart is, is when I'm doing everything, I'm gonna be doing everything I can over this next month, reaching out to every person I know saying, well, look, this, the narrative is not we're just a little church that's struggling through COVID and we need support. This, this, this is a, we're all in this together and the stakes are really high and it's real people and real kids and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do everything I can. So if you're able to do what you can, if some of you even have people in your network you're willing to like share stuff with, I'm writing up stuff that kind of tells the story of what we're trying to do, so I'm happy to share that with you. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at is make this final big push in December. Sound good? All right. Well, thank you for joining with me. Let me let me let me kind of pray in that moment, and then we'll continue to reflect on Advent as we prepare for communion. Oh God, uh, the last elders meeting, Katie reminded us that you are the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so our starting point is not one of scarcity or fear or anxiety, but of a remembrance that who you are is a God of abundance. And we know even when we talk about things like poverty, when we talk about things like injustice, we remember that scarcity is not something that comes from you. It comes from our failure to live in the generosity and goodness of who you are, to steward and share. And so um, we, we really are, we're not trying to do anything that's self-aggrandizing or building something for ourselves. We are trying to live in line with the gospel, to be the kind of community that I believe you have called us to be, that you've called all of us to be. So um, we really do desperately cry out to you for uh, miracle provision as we continue to step into the vision that we believe that you have called us to. So uh, we thank you for who you are, and uh, we trust you with that, and kind of all bring to the table what we can bring to the table. In your name we pray. Amen. Whew, okay, well, as we kind of reflect a little bit here. Um, it's kind of wild. Remember where we're at in the year. This is our last communion of 2022. It's kind of like wild to remember that, isn't it? That this will be the last time we receive the gift together this year, which also kind of got me thinking. So we're in this season of Advent, which, right, so we're, we're doing a series here um, all the way through probably summer where we're going to follow the um, uh, lectionary, which kind of organizes around the seven seasons of the church calendar. So Advent is the first season 
of the church calendar. And I was kind of thinking this week about how where we're at in terms of like real life calendar, like December 22, we're actually a couple steps behind every year, but it actually puts us a little bit of a disadvantaged starting point because for Advent, that's the beginning, right? So in our reality right now, December's all about holidays, closing things out, right? Finishing off the year strong, right? That's kind of the spirit of where we're at. Advent is a very different kind of energy. Advent is saying, we're at the very beginning of the story saying, what does this mean and where is it all going? Right? I mean, it's even interesting. Christmas is not the beginning of the, of the church calendar. I think maybe a lot of us would think Christmas is the beginning, right? God enters into the human experience, baby Jesus, that's the beginning of the story. But Advent reminds us, no, that's not the beginning of the story. That when Jesus comes, that's not where the story starts. When Jesus comes, that is actually the fulfillment of a thousand years of promises. And that's what Advent, Advent means an arrival, an arrival of someone special. Advent is the remembering of the promises of God, of who God is going to send. And so the uh, reading, the, the gospel reading that goes with the lectionary for this week is the one that Hannah read. Who Hannah, I forgot that you got a shout out in that video, is one of the favorite mentors. You and Hans got a lot of love in that. Um, uh, the Matthew passage is all about Advent, and it ties John the Baptist to Advent. And uh, I'm not going to reread it, because I'm going to actually go to where it's drawing from the Old Testament. But as, as Hannah read, it says that, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then in verse 3, and this is what I want us to really focus on, that this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. All right, now, I want to I wanna, I wanna do a group participation thing that, like, could be funny or could go awry, so we'll see which one it does. But I was thinking about it this week. Uh, so I'll tell you just one of this, the, like, the nerdy things of my upbringing, which kind of made me think of it. You know, I'm a pastor's kid, grew up in a very conservative church environment. One of the things we could never do was dance. Um, and so I didn't really get exposed to dancing until I was, like, in college and young adult, which... I still regret to this day because I feel like inside there was a great dancer that was waiting to be unleashed and with just a little bit of nurturing for early on, I think it could have been something special, but um, instead it's what I am. And so, uh, uh, but I, remember, I actually think one of the first places where I actually saw dancing happen was at weddings, you know, where there'd be, you know, all the formalities, but then, you know, everybody kind of loosens up at the, at the dance floor. One of the things that was always amazing, and this it's kind of crazy that it wasn't until I was like late teens, early 20s I saw this, but I was always amazed that there were like certain songs that like the second that song came on, like not only did everybody know it, but everybody moved to the dance floor at the same time, right? There's just certain songs that are like anthemic, right? Like, like it's like the, as soon as that beat starts, as soon as that lyric starts, everybody moves out onto the dance floor. And so I was going to maybe share some of mine, but they feel really dated. So instead I thought I'd have you help me come up. So this is one of those, not a right answer. I'm just really curious. Like when you're, when you're at an environment where your peers are or where, and it's okay, whatever age group you're in, but what are some of those songs where like when this song comes on, everybody just kind of moves out to start dancing in tandem. What are some of those songs? Let, let, let's fill it out with the different groups in our, in, our, in our church. What are some of those songs? Cha-cha slide? Yeah, that's okay, right? So yeah, cha-cha slide, that music comes on, everybody, everybody moves out. What are some of the other ones that, that do that, that kind of bring everybody out? I want to dance with somebody, but I wouldn't say yes, right? Right. I want to dance with somebody, yes. Any other ones? When the song comes on, it's just like this anthem, everybody knows to respond to it. There's so many. There's so many good ones, but I know this is a scary game to play because it like outs you of like, uh, yeah. Any other ones that you want to share? I mean, that was two good ones. Cha cha sliding. I want to dance with somebody. 
I almost want yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'm embarrassed to share the ones I, because I like, yeah. So we'll leave it there. We'll leave those two. That, that, we'll call that kind of like a middle, mid-level uh, success rate on that. Uh, um, here's why I was thinking of that. It's kind of silly, but there are, one of the things we talked about in the first couple of weeks, oh, sorry, this is the third week of Advent, isn't it? No, is this the second week? Yes, the second. Wow, sorry, I just had like a real moment there. Um, um, uh, one of the things we talked about, sorry, I remember not, it wasn't Evan yet, but two weeks ago I started setting up the, the, the book of Matthew. Anyway, one of the things we talked about in the book of Matthew is Matthew was Jewish. He was a young tax collector that Jesus called to follow him, become one of his disciples. Each disciple kind of had a different task that they were commissioned with. And for Matthew, he in particular was to go to his fellow Jews and try to help them understand how Jesus, the Messiah, was the continuation of everything that they had believed through the Old Testament times. So for Matthew, he has a high priority to not only introduce who Jesus is as the Son of God, but to tie it to the whole story, to see it as a continuation. And so Matthew knows that there are a handful of passages in the Hebrew Scriptures that's like one of those songs where it's like, you only need to hear a short little beat and you know the whole thing inside and out. Um, and what, what, what Matthew does here, and actually Mark and Luke do this as well, they all kind of point to the same passage in Isaiah 40. So I want to share Isaiah 40. When, 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 when Matthew shares tying to John the Baptist, prepare the way for the Lord, he actually is referencing what quite possibly is in the top five most famous passages in Hebrew Scripture in terms of like a song that the, the second you hear it, you know exactly what the whole thing's about. So here is... Here is what Matthew is tying Advent to, the arrival of Jesus Christ, the promises of God from the Hebrew Scriptures, from Isaiah 40. So let me, let me read it, um, verses 1 through 5, and then um, we'll kind of use this as a way to kind of see not only what Matthew is saying, but to really prepare ourselves for Advent, for receiving the gift of the Lord's Supper. So here's what Isaiah says in chapter 40. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, and now you hear this is the part that Matthew um, includes in chapter 3 that's kind of a, uh, the beat, kind of reminding him that this is the passage from. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You can just leave that up there, Sergio, until we go into communion. So this is a famous Advent passage, and rightfully so. So again, Advent means kind of the waiting for the arrival, the promise of, in this case, God coming in the form of Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, it's really in a lot of ways speaks for itself, but there's two, there's two images that God uses here of what it is that the people of Israel can and should be looking forward to expectantly. What they can be trusting is coming through God for them as a gift, and both are important, and I would really suggest it's really, you can't take one away from the other. Like some Christians lean towards one, some Christians lean towards the other. They're both really important. The two images of the coming Messiah, one is a savior who will forgive the people of their sins, you can see that real clearly in here. And then secondly, a king who will bring forth justice. Right, a savior who will forgive the people of their sins, a king who will bring forth justice. So let's look at each one of these. Now, the context of this matter is Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah is a fascinating Old Testament book that kind of carries the whole message of the gospel in it. So chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah are pretty heavy, honestly. 
um, because the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, prophets often did this in the Old Testament, the whole basis of the relationship between God and the people was called the covenant, where God said to the Hebrew people, you are, you are my people, I'm your God, you are my people, and we now must live in this love relationship, this covenant love relationship, where you love God, love your neighbor. And so chapters one through 39, is just really hard to read, it's all about the ways that the people of God have forsaken God. So it's just judgment, 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 all shining a light in all the ways that the people have forsaken God. Which is why those first couple words of the passage are so important. God says, comfort, comfort my people. Because after shining a spotlight in all the ways that they have forsaken God, that they have failed to love God, that they have failed to love their neighbor, God says, comfort, comfort, and then begins to point towards um, the salvation of sin, right? Um, the, the, her sin has been paid for, the, the people of Israel, her sin has been paid for. She's received the Lord's hand double, like just speaking to the magnitude of grace. And so this is introduced here, and then if you read Isaiah, starting with chapter 40, some of the most famous passages that we have, Handel's Messiah is built around this whole, th- this whole section here. Some of the most famous passages we have about the reality of sin and the magnitude of God's grace to forgive that are found in these next chapters um, through Isaiah. And I'll when we get to communion moment, I'll bring us to Isaiah 53, which is some of those concentrated parts of this. But the bottom line, I just wanted to see that for them, Advent meant, yes, you are sinners who have um, forsaken your relationship with God, who have fallen short in every single way, who have um, even mocked God at times. And yet, you can take tremendous comfort because God, through this coming Messiah, through the coming Christ, will forgive us of our sins. And so that's the first image that's really clearly in here. But as the Bible always does, it always ties together the forgiveness of sins with the coming of justice. And so I want to show, and the, even the king part is important. So let's look at verse 3 and 4. This is tied together. Verse 3 really gets to the idea of a king. Um, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, we probably can piece this together even as modern readers, but this is borrowing a king image from Old Testament times. So. Um, you know, because there wasn't much infrastructure in terms of roads and paths and stuff like that. There were only certain places that you could travel. So if a king was ever going to travel, it was such a big deal when a king traveled or when a king was going to go somewhere. It was such a big deal, because of course the whole kind of kingdom is built around that. It was such a big deal that when a king went somewhere that people would go out beforehand to reconstitute the topography of the land before the king would come. So if there was a hill in the way or there was a mountain in the way or there was whatever, everything would get cleared and a pathway would be made for that king to be able to travel through. So Isaiah is saying, I mean, everything changes once Christ comes. This, this is King Jesus coming. This is God coming back. Everything should be cleared when he comes. And then you see kind of the language of justice, or I think hopefully you see it in verse 4. I mean, it's, it's, it's an image form, but this is, this, is the, this is the clear language of justice. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. Right, so whenever you're talking about justice, right, true justice is always good news for the poor. Always good news for the poor. And so verse 4 starts with this, that every valley shall be raised up. That Advent was inherently tied to the sense of justice, that all those who feel like they're in any kind of a lowly place, whatever that would be, psychologically feeling lowly, uh, financially feeling lowly on the Benjamin used that phrase in prayer and praise, being under the boot of the empire, in whatever ways that social inequality, social injustice is playing out, 
Isaiah, through this very, very famous passage, God says, every valley, every low place is going to be raised up, which is great news. And then also great news, unless you actually are the one who's trying to maintain the power dynamics, <laughs> uh, every, mountain and hill, every mountain and hill will be made low. Right? So this is the other side. Not only is it good news for the poor, but God is saying every place where artificially power has in hierarchy have been established, those are going to be toppled. Those are going to be flattened out that the coming of God is always um, based in a vision of shalom and of justice. And then kind of gives this picture of equality to finish off. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged place is a plain, right? which is kind of picturesque imagery for equality. Right? That when shalom comes through the coming king, all things will be equalized. All things, so hierarchies that have been built by systems of evil will be toppled. Those who have been feeling like they're pressed down are going to be lifted up. And so not only will the coming king forgive us of our sins, but the coming king will bring justice, will bring equality. And this became kind of the anthem for the Hebrew people that no matter how hard things got, this is what Advent meant. It was a remembrance that God was going to come and send Jesus and that when he did, they could have full confidence that their sins would be forgiven, which was a really big deal because there were all these um, specific kinds of uh, ceremonial kinds of things that they would go through with sacrifices and such to point towards this coming forgiveness. And then also that justice and equality would be implemented by King Jesus as he came. And so as we reflect on that Matthew passage, who takes us back to Isaiah chapter 40, um, we think about the same things with Advent, that when we are thinking about the beginning of the story, before we even get to Christmas, before we even get to Jesus, we remember the promises of God of what Jesus will represent, that through God's sacrificial provision, we will have complete and full forgiveness of our sins, which is something we celebrate each month with the receiving of the gift of communion. And we remember that as Jesus taught us to pray, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that Jesus is going to bring, is going to begin the process of making all things right, of dealing with tyranny and oppression and evil-made hierarchies, and also lift up those who have been pressed into lowly places and bring justice and shalom to all that he touches. And so as we um, kind of think about how to tie that to the gift of communion, uh, let me use this passage here to start it, and then we'll finish with Isaiah 53. Um, but I really like how, I mean, really, because again, this, this five-verse thing was, you know, outside of the actual story of being delivered from the Egyptians and taken through the Red Sea, this is, this is, this is right up there with that in terms of like, core songs, core poems, core truths that the people held on to trusting that God was coming. So verse five kind of brings it to a head. And I, I, I guess if we put it in question form first, if you're gonna say, how do I respond to that reality? How do I respond to that reality that God is sending Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to bring justice on earth as it is in heaven? How do I respond to that? It's interesting how verse five, I think it's really cool how it, how it what it asks us to do. So verse five, Isaiah says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so if you're gonna ask Isaiah, how do you respond to that truth? It's interesting, he appeals to the five senses. He says, if we're gonna respond to the coming king, what that means, first we need to see. 
man, isn't that, isn't that something that, 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 that we come together? And I, I always love that term, revelation. Um, reveal just means to help you see, but revelation assumes that it was there before, but you couldn't see it clearly. Like, that's what revelation means, right? Like, you're looking at something, you can't see it, but then the truth of it gets revealed to you, right? That there's something about the way God works, especially in the context of community, where God's opening our eyes, where God is revealing a truth that actually is all around us, but that we don't tend to fully grasp the magnitude of. And so, at a simple level, I think, not simple level, at a profound level, but simple to say, God's invitation is that in Advent we would see, that we would see that the coming Christ, the story of God, is that God is sending Christ to forgive us of our sins, to bring forth justice and equality. And then adds to it that we'd also hear, to trust that this is not a figment of our imagination, this is not a story we're creating to make ourselves feel better, it is us hearing the spoken word of God, that God has said, comfort, comfort, Prepare a way for the King Jesus is coming. And so as we uh, prepare to receive this um, gift of communion, let, let me read Isaiah 53, and then we're going to come forth and uh, take the elements and come back to our seats. But um, I want to just kind of give this to us to reflect on as we prepare. And if worship team, if you want to start making your way up, we're going to transition to communion here in just a moment. But so now Isaiah, we just read chapter 40. Now Isaiah, just chapter after chapter after chapter, is going to keep talking about the advent, the, 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 the waiting for the arrival of King Jesus. And in 53, this is some of the kind of really beautiful imagery of the cross. And let me read this to you in, in just as a way to kind of reflect on what we're receiving as a gift as we receive this bread and this cup. So Isaiah 53, I'll start with three. Um, Isaiah says, talking of the coming Christ, Isaiah says, he was despised and rejected by others. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like, from, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. We held him in low esteem. But then Isaiah says, surely he took up our pain he bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace came onto him, and by his wounds we are healed. And that's about as just succinctly as you can say well, what it is that we are, we are celebrating, that Isaiah says, Isaiah says the punishment that could have been brought on us was instead put on him so that through him that peace comes on us. And then he finishes it by saying, by his wounds we are healed. And so as we prepare to come up, I would just invite you just to remember that, that in Advent we are, we're not hiding from the fact that we're broken and in need of healing. Right? You don't come to the communion table trying to act like you're more put together than you are. In fact, that actually mocks the significance of what is provided to us here. When it says by his stripes we are healed, that means without him we're not healed. We're not well without him. But through him we are made whole, we are made well. We don't come to the table present prevent we don't come to the table pretending like we're not sinners. Right? We come to the table saying we are sinners, but by your stripes we are healed. Through what you have done, peace has come upon us. And now we are made whole, we are forgiven, we are sent out into the world joining Jesus in bringing the kingdom of heaven here onto earth. 
So I would love to invite you, if you would, to go ahead and to stand up now, and um, we're going to do what we do each week. We'll take a minute. Um, we're not quite at the point post-COVID where we're receiving communion from people, but we are starting to move together as a body. So you can just come up to either station as you're ready. There's nothing. There's no formalities to this. You come and receive. Grab a piece of bread. Grab a cup out of the bins, and just come back to your seat. And then we'll do a confession and a receiving of the gift of communion together. So let's take a couple minutes just as you're ready. Just come on up. You don't receive. Just grab it and come back to your seat, and then we'll all take it together. So one station here, one station there. Come on up and grab the elements, a piece of bread, and a cup from the container, if you will. as we do a corporate confession on each communion Sunday um, before receiving it. And so as a reminder, confession just simply means to tell the truth. And so when we're doing confessions, we're telling the truth first of who we are without God, confessing that um, we, like all who've gone before us, have forsaken the God who has loved us, who has given God's self to us. And we remember that, that is indeed true, but then we confess that we also completely believe that God forgives and restores and makes us whole. And so um, uh, let's read together this written confection. If you go ahead and read it with me. God of love and mercy, we confess that we have consinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We confess that this season has become more about consumerism than about expectant waiting. We confess that we are impatient with your timing and inattentive to your movement. Each day, we fail to see your arrival in our midst. Oh Lord, help us to become better preparers of your presence. Teach us to be table setters for your great banquet. Empower us to be people who in the midst of doubt, fear and confusion can wait on you. Amen. Now I'll read the words of Jesus from the book of Matthew at the Last Supper when he introduced what we now do. It was a gift of receiving communion. Jesus says he took them to the upper room while they were eating, and Jesus took bread. And so as you take that bread, and it says he gave thanks over it. So we just take a moment. I'm not going to do this corporately. Just in your own words, in your own mind, will you give thanks for the bread that represents the flesh of God that has come for us? Just take a moment to say thanks. And then Jesus broke it, which the hospitality as a team has already done for us. It's broken. He gave to his disciples and said, take and eat, for this is my body. Let us receive the gift of bread together. And as we prepare to receive this last part, the cup, remember those words of Isaiah 53, those words that Jesus knew, that Jesus came to understand, were foretelling of him. When, when Isaiah says, by his stripes, by his blood, we are healed. It says, Jesus took the cup, he gave thanks. So again, we say thanks to God. Then he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of our sins. Let us remember, let us take this, remembering that we are fully forgiven by God. And now as we get ready to respond in worship, let's remember there, there's like so many things in the, Christian, in the Christian story. It's a beautiful combination of multiple realities. So on one hand, there's a soberness to Communion Sunday because we remember the significance of our sin, the significance of what God has done for us, the cost for God. But there's also meant to be this incredible sense of jubilation, of joy, of celebration. Uh, it's not meant to, 
We're not meant to walk around with heads down or um, shoulders slumped. We are meant to know that we are whole in God, that we are forgiven fully, that we can trust that God sees us and loves us as God's beloved children, and that we're sent out into the world as witnesses to that love. So we have done the sober part of remembering um, what it is that God has done for us, and now let us lean all the way in to um, the gift of that love and the knowing the ways that it makes us completely whole. So let's respond in worship. reckless love of God. Amen. We're thankful to be reminded of it through this sacrament, through this practice of receiving the gift of communion, the reckless love of God. Hmm. Sergio, is there any way, can we bring up the Isaiah 40 passage again? Is that easy enough to do? Let's, uh, let's use this as our benediction. Remember when Matthew tries to start the story, he starts the story in the same place the church calendar starts the story, right? We remember that, or think, reflect on the fact that the beginning of the story of Christianity is not that God came in the person of Jesus. The story starts even sooner than that, that Jesus is a promise. And that promise is remembered here in Isaiah chapter 40. And I just love the way that this section ends. And so let's use this as our benediction. Verse 5, it says, The glory of the Lord will be revealed. That's what Christmas is. That's what we're moving towards, is the glory of the Lord being revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So he says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and the people will see it together. So let us orient ourselves this Advent to seeing more clearly, seeing in ways we've never seen before, participating in the revelation work that God is doing with each one of us to see the Lord glory of God. And all God's people said, amen. Love you all.